up, guys? Kendall Roosing here, and welcome back to another episode of Get a Grip with Kay. I am so stoked and honored to be here with Justin Lovato. Justin, welcome. Thank you for having me. And I say welcome to the podcast, but also I have been welcomed into not only Justin's home, but also his work. And we just did a beautiful breathwork session earlier today. Um, we'll talk more about his work later, but I'm super, super happy to be here with him in Austin, Texas. So, Justin, I told you before we start off the episode with two questions. The reason I didn't do a big long intro of you yet is because one, I actually don't know all of the intricacies of the work that you do because it is very vast. So I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about that when you tell your life story. But the first question I have for you, um, which I'm excited to have it be a little different than what our listeners normally hear is what does it mean to you to have a grip on your life? What does that look like, feel like, smell like, like, mm. what is that when you feel like, oh, I'm centered, I'm grounded, I'm on, tra I'm on track, whatever that means for you, what does life look like for Justin when you have a grip? Uh, peace and presence. Mm. So being at peace with what is and then uh, being present throughout most of my day, um, being fully here. And that's when I feel my best. That's when I feel like I have a grip on life, so to speak. And whenever I'm not um, practicing presence or engaging in presence um, you know, throughout my day, is when I do feel a little divisiveness within myself. So um, a big part of my work is, is mastering and uh, being present as much as I can. Um, and, and that's just a big part of how I operate in general. So um, yeah, presence and mm. peace. Yeah, Presence and peace. I love it. And I'm excited because we're going to get to hear about your practices soon, mm. I'm sure, that help it bring us back to the moment. Because I think a lot of people use the word presence, mm. but it may look different for different people. Or I know for me, I used to hear people that I viewed as very grounded say that word. And I was like, okay, but, but how? Like, yeah. like maybe it's not always a meditation. Maybe you don't have time to go into a 20 minute minute. So we'll get into that. But next question is, would you please tell me and our listeners the 10 minute version of your life story, which is a very short period of time, I know. Um, but yeah, give us a little bit of info about you so we know who we're listening to as we dive in. Very cool. Uh, I grew up predominantly in upstate New York um, in a really great neighborhood, great friends in a wrestling community. I grew up wrestling, um, which was a lot of fun and I think very valuable mm. uh, having that type of brotherhood. I think uh, a lot of sports is, all sports is great, but there's something different about um, sharing a mat with somebody. And yeah. I know that you're definitely familiar with that. So uh, very lucky to be growing up grappling, wrestling with some great men in my life. Well, and um, funny, I just have to tell them really quick that I scheduled this interview and my breathwork session, everything, and have actually followed Justin on Instagram for years and had no idea that he wrestled or had any information or experience with combat sports until today. So like, what a treat to get to hear about your combat sports journey too. We're more aligned than I even knew. But anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our, our wrestling field was actually really good too. Um, we were pretty much a stacked team. I think there's like a, what, 11 people that go to States on a team, wow, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, out of the 11 people that would go uh, for New York State and represent New York State, seven of them were from my high school alone. Wow. So we were wow. a very stacked team. Yeah, mm. they were really good. Um, so very lucky to grow up in that type of atmosphere for sure. Yeah. Uh, around age 25 or around age 20, I actually started getting into competitive bodybuilding and mm -hmm. I never saw myself really doing that, but it was a big part of my life. And at age 20 to 30, I was mostly doing bodybuilding and I moved to Los Angeles, Venice, California, age 25. Mm -hmm. So you started bodybuilding in New York though, Yeah. in yeah, the beginning yeah. and then about halfway through moved to California. Mm -hmm. Was that like the California dream? Was it the Gold's Gym? What, like, what brought you there? Believe it or not, uh, neither. I, um, I don't really think that too far ahead, and I don't look into most, <laughs> most of the things that I'm doing. I, yeah. I actually never heard of Gold's Gym Mecca um, when I got into bodybuilding. I'm, I'm not a consumer, mm. so I didn't buy magazines. I wasn't really looking into anything. And the only reason why I started bodybuilding was everybody was asking if I was a bodybuilder because I was just weightlifting. Okay. And, oh, and there was um, no Instagram. So, of course, no you didn't Instagram. see. Yeah, you didn't. There wasn't. The internet was different no. then. Yeah. 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 There was literally, I mean, no real internet at that time. I think I got my first phone at 18 or 19. Oh. And it was a, you know, there, there was nothing on a screen. There was no texting. There was like A, B, C. <laughs> yeah. I think people still had pagers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Instagram wasn't a thing, I think, until I was like 27. 
so yeah no social media up until that point nobody was filming anything in the gym um and i wasn't using the internet already i didn't have a computer i didn't even get my first computer until way later on um so at age 25 uh, i had no intentions of moving to california whatsoever it wasn't on my radar my younger brother just randomly asked like hey do you want to move to california and i've always been a person that kind of just says yes yeah so I was like, yeah, sure. And I had a job. I was taking care of uh, mentally handicapped people for five years from age 20 to 25. Wow. And so I put my two weeks in, you know, didn't look into anything. And two weeks before <laughs> we were supposed to leave, uh, my brother backed out. So oh. did you um, have a lease already? No, no. Okay, okay. But, uh, you know, I was already, I already was quitting this job. I had this yeah. momentum going. And it just so happened I was talking to a girl at the time um, who was from a town close to me but she was living in LA and I was going to be going to San Diego with my brother. That was our okay. first initial choice. And uh, I was chatting with her on MySpace. <laughs> was she in your top, in your yeah, list yeah, of top Yeah, people? like top people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. So I was chatting with this person on MySpace and I was telling her what just happened with my brother backing out. And then she's like, why don't you come to LA instead? And you can stay with me and you can figure out how you want to do this. And so yeah, I just drove to LA, no job, very you drove. Yeah, I drove across country. Wow. Yeah. Um, with no job lined up, very because I also wasn't aware of the differences in finances. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where I was from, I think, you know, the average person would make like around thirty thousand a year, thirty three thousand a year. Wow. And that and was like comfortable. More more. They were yeah, oh, comfortable. Okay, okay. Yeah, very comfortable. I mean, wow. I had a three bedroom house. Wow. And, you know, rent was like seven hundred dollars a month. So I, this was in the early 2000s, yeah. but um, yeah, I remember when gas was 96 cents when I was 16. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah, pretty wild. Uh, but I, I went going to LA and I was always really good at just creating um, work as well mm -hmm. in my life. So Generating. Yeah, generating. Yeah. And it was 2008. I had no idea that it was a recession. Mm. And so I went out there and it was kind of nice. Ignorance is quite bliss, I would say, because I was able to find three jobs during this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first job was becoming a front desk person at a Gold's Gym in North Hollywood. No way. <laughs> yeah. And it was the first time I'd been in a Gold's Gym. Yeah. And it was like, I think the second or third one ever created, actually. So it had mm. some really cool vibes to it that mm. I really enjoyed. And, and it was the first time I stepped into a facility where there were these monsters and, yeah. and, um, you know, once I was moving out there, I realized like, hey, this is a, a bodybuilding mecca, so to speak, uh, specifically L.A. And um, I was excited to compete against a lot of the top people uh, because I was I was uh, I was dominating where I was. But there also wasn't great caliber where I was. Right, so, right. Yeah, I was like the bigger, the bigger fish. fish. Yeah. And a smaller pond. So yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to see how that would be competing against, um, you know, just more successful people, bigger people. Right. And um it was funny. I, I never heard of the Mecca either until this point. And mm. um, someone at that gym's like, hey, have you checked out the Mecca yet? And it was the same answer. Like, I never heard of it. And they're like, how are you a bodybuilder and never heard of the Mecca? Yeah. So they brought me to the Mecca. And after I went there, I started going there, um, you know, continually after that. Uh, outside of having a front desk, like Gold's Gym uh, job, I was also bouncing at a location. Um, which of wasn't course. very much fun, yeah. but that was like a go-to job, yeah, especially where yeah. I was from. Was well, and it always normal. needs, they always need work. That's they true. always need bouncers. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Even during a recession. <laughs> yeah. Even during recession, people are going out. Maybe especially during recession. <laughs> exactly. That yeah. is true. And then I was also, uh, I, I, the, the person who actually brought me to Gold's Gym Mecca, he had this valet company and he thought somebody was stealing money from his business mm -hmm. and he wanted to come, someone coming in like audit. audit. Yeah. And so he hired me to come in and work for him for a few weeks. And I, and I found the person that was stealing. Did you have any background in finances or no, <laughs> it's just, what's funny was I just did the job honestly and it presented itself. So I didn't right. really have to do anything besides just like keep run track, the numbers and run the yeah, numbers. Yeah, yeah. So it was like very, very simple. And then, so once they fired him, they offered me the job. And it was a really well-paying job. And I worked that gig for like four years, my first four years in and LA. And you were just bodybuilding, competing. Yeah on, the side, and... yeah, on the side. Yeah, and which was really great. And then I was working specifically in Beverly Hills uh, in, on Rodeo Drive. So it was a lot of high-profile mm -hmm. people coming in. And oftentimes, just because the way I looked, everybody always asked if I was a personal trainer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And where I was from originally, you could not make a living personal training. One, people couldn't afford a personal trainer. Yeah. And if you were, you could maybe charge $25 an hour, Ooh. which still isn't technically bad in that time or yes, in that space, right? right. right? But 
um, I thought for sure there's like no way that you can have a living just because of the small town I was from. Right. So um, once I realized that personal trainers were charging 150 to 200 to maybe 300 an hour, I was like, wow, you actually can do a really have amazing living doing this type of work. Right, right. And so this one person kept asking if I would train her. And I was like, well, if you pay me what I make um, here at this job for the next three months and allow me to quit and allow me to, you know, get some more people, yeah. build some clientele, build yeah, yeah. then I'll do it. And she said, yeah. Wow. So, wow, yeah. that's an incredible shift in things. Yeah. So then, Ooh. and I, that caught on really quick. I didn't need the three months. Within a month, I was, I mean, I was having 10 people each day training at independent training out of Gold's Gym Mecca. You were doing 10 one on ones or yeah. did you group them at all? No, I was like 10 one on ones. That, that is was, intense. Yeah. The grind years, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what you got to do to build things up for sure. It, it was wild though because it was so much fun for me to train people. <laughs> um, that it didn't feel like ever too much hmm. um, in that space. It was a lot of fun. I was in my atmosphere and I got the train in between. It was perfect for yeah, bodybuilding your lifestyle, too, my right? lifestyle. Yeah. And it was really highly motivating and, and amazing money. And so I started a, a business and I soon married um, my, my previous partner, Step. We, we got married, I think, in uh, what year was it? 2013, I okay. think. And her name's Steph. Yeah. So for reference, I have to tell everyone that I think it was maybe 2015 or 16 when I followed, I think I might've found her first, okay. followed you guys on Instagram. And I was in college and I was like wrestling and going through, this is when the first time I heard about macros, mm -hmm. I was like in the fitness world and in, in, in Instagram wasn't that old at the time. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, there's these people. Like I was following a bunch of bodybuilders. I got very into it. I watched everyone's YouTube videos. It was a whole thing. I was like 18, yeah, that was 19. A thing. That was a thing. It yeah. was a huge thing. So anyway, fast forward, like I mentioned earlier um, when we were talking is pretty much everyone from that era, I ended up unfollowing, not in a hateful way. I just wasn't really in that space anymore. I kind of shifted my focus. Mm. Um, but you are someone that I always kept um, watching your content because it was so outside of just fitness. And That's I was true, always yeah. attracted to your focus on presence and mind body connection and stuff that we'll get into a little bit later. So I actually remember those days and I remember looking at watching Steph's stage and anyway, so it's just funny. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And what, yeah, I did definitely approach bodybuilding much differently. Um, you know, I was probably one of the few bodybuilders that was promoting weed and training. I yeah. was I had the hashtag light and lift and I was, I was using, <laughs> I bet that was controversial. Yeah, yeah. even in Venice though, people get very intense about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, my approach and, and people had a tough time really understanding it at first, but I think now it's, it's actually incredibly yeah. popular to smoke and train is, in all yeah. different categories. So, uh, yeah, had a successful, a really successful training and nutrition company with uh with steph uh she was my former she's my former partner now but we had a really beautiful successful company i am yeah. built built nutrition and training and we ran that for about nine years wow yeah it was wow. really awesome and then when we separated uh she kept her nutrition part of the company and then i got into facilitating breath work mentorship mm. and sound bath plant medicine stuff and yeah uh, how i got into that was really quite cool um around age 30 i started dabbling with psychedelics myself mm -hmm. um and exploring consciousness and, and you know that exploration was a, like i would say a long stretch between age mm. 30 to 37 there was still a lot of um, simply unawareness of of all of the stuff that I teach now, but it was, there was like these just pivotal moments where I just became more aware, more aligned, so to speak, and how I operated and made these giant shifts in my life to eventually um, really started getting into these wonderful breathwork practices, meditation practices. And at this time I was still PTing, but um, my clients saw a shift within myself and they mm. became really curious the work that I was doing outside of you know, training and bodybuilding mm -hmm. and whatnot. And um, they oh, started asking. At the time, sorry, so 30 to 37, you were really just doing most of this on your own journey. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you yeah. were personal training the whole time. And then around that time, people were like, okay, you've been doing this for a while now. We're noticing some changes. What's going on? Right? Yeah, yeah. And I and I was so, it's funny because the way that I kind of go through life, I like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a really consumer. So um, a lot of my stuff is intuitive. Um, I kind of just feel things out, even with breath work. Uh, before I even got into breath work, I think I was around age 32. I remember randomly saying to Steph one morning, like, I think it'd be a great idea if, if you just breathed every morning, like powerful breath. And it was all towards wow. performance. It wasn't towards um, consciousness. So um, 
but I didn't do anything with it. It was just like kind of a thought that comes through, mm. a download, if you will. Before it was trending. Before it was <laughs> trending. Yeah. yeah. And then even when I got into it, I remember I went to Tulum and and caught on to conscious music. I remember mm. when I learned about conscious music and like uh, the mindfulness that goes into it, the intentions that go into music, the frequencies that are in music. And just when to I, give them a reference point, yeah. you're talking about like binaural beats yeah. and some stuff like that. Well, even like the intentions of what's going into the music for one is really okay. powerful. You know, if you really listen to lyrics to a lot of mm -hmm. music and a lot of it's low vibrational stuff, it's the, what yes. they're saying is degrading. What they're saying is not love. It's and, seeping into yeah, the subconscious. Yeah. Well, there was a song earlier that we had in, in our, in our breathwork ceremony. Um, what was the line? It said, my something about my love is to guide you to your center. Mm. It, there was a, a line in one of those. was like, Something about like just acknowledging like it's not about me, my love here and my presence with you is I'm just want to guide. I just want yeah. you to guide yourself back to your center. Yeah. Something like that. So it was, it, the lyrics like it seeps in. Yeah, yeah it seeps in. And the intentions from that individual who makes that right because everything is energy. Yeah. So and and this kind of goes into all all aspects of how we consume, whether that be your music, whether mm -hmm. that be your food, whether that be the furniture that you buy, to the right. clothes that you wear. Um, since everything is energy, I really focus on, um, where is it coming from? What are the intentions behind it? And, uh, and that has really, uh, been powerful for me and mm -hmm. like how I've kind of gone through life and also like how I feel as I go through life. Um, yeah, it's been really cool stuff, like learning this stuff. And so my clients saw this shift in me mm -hmm. and I randomly, when I came home from Tulum, I started doing breath work one morning. And I didn't follow anybody that did breath. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it, to be honest. And I just started breathing and then randomly throwing in exhale holds and inhale holds. Mm. And then just after a few weeks of doing that, I was getting into what people call a meditative state. I had no idea that I was <laughs> yeah. doing this. Yeah. Altering um, your chemistry, right? Yeah. 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 And, um, and then I discovered Wim Hof. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually doing a, a similar style to Wim Hof um, yeah. in my living room. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I checked out his book and I was like, all right, cool. This is similar to what I'm doing. And at this time I was just, I was just becoming again, more aware of, of consciousness, energy. And then there was a really powerful shift in discovering like who I actually am, mm -hmm. um, what I identify as. And that was a really powerful moment for me because I learned that most people in this world, um, were suffering yeah. and, I, I looked at like how I went through life and I realized there's a big part of me that wasn't suffering like most people. So I started questioning what allowed me um, to not kind of fall into the identification with the mind. Um, what allowed mm -hmm. me to simply experience my experiences and not identify with my experiences. What also allowed me to um, not take on my, my family stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up in a very abusive household my stepdad was very abusive and, you know, my mom came from what, what people would consider severe trauma. Same with my, my father, my stepfather. Um, and, you know, from that type of household and energy in that household, you know, some of my siblings did not do very well. Yeah. And some of them became addicts and, and are still struggling to this day. And so I became really curious as to what gave me the ability to not take on my parents' energy or my, my stepfather's energy, mm -hmm. what allowed me to not carry it, uh, not create any stories of unworthiness or I'm not enoughness, what allowed me to not um, become anxious of the unknown or uncertainty of the future. Mm -hmm. And so I started asking these questions because I was always in this state of presence. Yeah. And then I realized, like, realizing that I'm in the state of presence, it was the answer, mm. right? So most yeah. people aren't present they're either in the past uh filled with hypothetical movies of unworthiness or, or they're in the future of hypothetical movies of the unknown and uncertainty right. or they're distracted and very minimal people are actually present so i realized that yeah. most children most children have this beautiful gift of existing in presence but at some point in their lives uh, usually they're in unsafe environments mm. um, or in judgment environments and in that space is when they start getting pulled from presence Right. And, and the mind kind of creates and manifests what uh, we call the ego right. and yeah. starts keeping us yeah, <laughs> quite small. Yeah. yeah. So wow. I realized that I never lost that level of presence my entire life, mm. that childlike presence. And so I became really curious of like, well, how can I help? 
people tap into this state of presence. Um, and that is through the breath work and meditation. So mm. I realized if I really want to help people, um, remove these stories, remove the identification with their poor experiences, uh, help them understand who they actually are and no longer identifying with their thoughts or their mind. I need to teach them um, presence yeah. to quiet the mind, so to speak, and, and to zoom out or become the witness of it. Yeah. And breath work, I feel out of all the tools that we can kind of dive into besides maybe direct nature or maybe nights of darkness, yeah. we can, we can um, discover this sense of presence. Mm -hmm. And also what happens in that place of presence, uh, this magical thing happens where um, you can call it a window. Um, if you want to get woo-woo, you can call it a portal. I like it. Yeah. 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 If you want to get, get yeah, yeah. If you want to call it a, a yeah. portal, if you will. So every time you become present where you're neither in your mind and you're not in the past or the future, this portal or window opens and, and then awareness comes through presence, uh, loving awareness comes through consciousness comes through this portal, so to speak. And then it can give you a download or an epiphany or an idea on how to maybe see something you're currently working through in your life with a loving lens as opposed to a fear-based lens. Mm. So that's, that's really the, the beauty of all this. I think a lot of people suffer um, from the mind. Um, that's where all the suffering actually comes from, is from our, from our mind, our deeply conditioned mind or programmed mind. And, and how can we then um, reprogram the mind, recondition the mind, and most importantly, not identify with it? Mm. And so when we tap into presence, we can remember, so to speak, that we have a mind, but we're not the mind. And we are actually a much more uh, profound uh, <laughs> source of being, if you right, will. Right. And that's how I kind of really started leading this work. And um, it's shifted um, who I am in powerful ways. And uh, long story short, I, uh, you know, <laughs> I was I was doing this with my clients now, my yeah. PT clients. So my PT clients were essentially asking me to lead them through breath work instead okay. of PT. And work. what if they just came in? They're like, I don't want to work out today. Yeah. Just get me ground. Get me the peace that you have somehow. Yeah, it was, it was okay. very much like that. They, okay. they felt my energy shift. And, and that's what's beautiful about energy. When you do the work, so to speak, and you do raise your vibration through yeah. not only breath work, but things like sunbathing and grounding and eating properly and, and conscious consumerism, um, people can feel that. And Joe Dispenza talks about the wave yes. that comes off you, you know, a 10 to 20 foot wave mm -hmm. of of high energy and people can shift consciousness just by walking around you or become very curious about yeah. your aura, so to speak. So, um, this was happening and I also started incorporating it in my training. So I would do uh, certain styles of breath work before I train in between sets. And so I started applying that with my clients. And at the end of the session, I would do like a small 10 minute breathing routine with them oh, wow. at the end of their session. And they were leaving elated and um and then eventually like, hey can we do a breathwork session the whole time i'm like yeah of course mm. word got around um that i was now leading breathwork sessions in venice and i started doing that in venice but at the same time this was during covid mm. so it was kind of ironic i was teaching people to breathe during covid when everybody yeah. was being told to mask up right right wow yeah. i don't think it's by accident right? yeah yeah it was like completely Ugh. the opposite so i and i was definitely against the grain with what was happening with covid so mm -hmm. Um, I did not have a good time those last three years in LA, um, or the last year and a half in LA. Uh, so I made the move to Texas because I knew more people were doing the work that I've been doing, um, when I was in LA and more people were, were, uh, leaning into breath work and meditation, uh, more, um, awareness, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So I made the move to Texas and that's what I've been doing uh, full time since I've been here, wow. uh, leading breath work and meditations and then the, the mentorships as well, which is mm. essentially talking about all this and, the biggest thing that I, or the the thing that I love to do most is is the mentorship for sure, um, tied in with the breath work, because you know everything that I'm that I'm saying right. on a deeper level, um, because we are one, right? Right. I am you, and you are me, mm -hmm. and and a lot of times it's just hard to remember that because the mind is in the way, and the identification with this specific self is in the way, and uh, yeah, so when we teach this level of presence, we, we essentially remember or wake up, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And when you can have these types of conversations combined with teaching somebody to do breath work at a high level on an everyday mm -hmm. basis, they connect the dots themselves and they remember uh, right. themselves. They awaken themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's the most beautiful, uh, 
beautiful experience yeah. to be honest and it's i love what i do wow wow it's i love when you use the word remember because Joe Dispenza uses that word a lot. And mm. I, you know, I've been to live events with him and in the, and people who do guided meditations with him know as well that he uses that word a lot. So there'll be, <clears throat> you know, a moment of silence. And then it's just, he has this way of saying it that I won't sound like him, but he just says, remember very slowly. And it's a, it's like an intense mm. feeling. And it's so ingrained now in my subconscious from doing these experiences that it's been very powerful because now when someone else says that word, especially when we're talking about this word, I feel like I immediately kind of like fall back into my back body and I do remember mm. a lot and I do get out of the mind just from hearing it. Yeah. Like, so it's what you're saying to me makes sense on the other side of someone who has sought out different mentors to give the information and hold the hand and guide the way because I, I know because yeah. I am me and, yeah. or I am you and you are me but I can connect the dots when given those tools. Yeah. yeah. yeah and that's all it is, is like, you know, and, and I think the hardest part about people getting into this work is, is learning how to um, process and hold space for the emotions they had never got a chance to do. Right. And most people, right. it's very interesting how most people view them, view themselves. And that was something that I learned much later on is that most people, feel unworthy of themselves. Most people feel not enough or unlovable or not capable. And that was something else I became really curious about is like, why do people have this outlook? And when you really look at just the collective and how it operates, um, whether parents are good parents or bad parents, yeah. um, they tend to raise their children to be socially acceptable. Right. And so the way they do this is either they punish a child or reward a child based off their performance. Mm. And the, the way they come up with this system is what society thinks is good or bad. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of judgment happening with a child. And a child doesn't interpret the world that way. Whenever a child gets punished, it thinks it's doing something wrong, especially when it's getting punished, technically judged um, by their parents or peers, by the people that are supposed to keep them protected okay. and safe yeah. the most. And so the way the brain interprets that is I'm unlovable. I am not enough. There's something wrong with me. Right. Um, I'm not liked. Um, and then the school system kind of reinforces this with the grading system, the pass or fail. And, right. you know, most children aren't getting good grades because they love the curriculum. They're getting good grades. So their parents give them the allowance and praise them. They get it put on the fridge. The, you know, the teachers are all happy. Their peers see them as successful. And right. The opposite is to fail and you get grounded and you don't get your allowance and you can't go out at late at night and you know you're labeled you know not capable yeah or literally an f on your report card yeah yeah and, you, and you're ashamed in a way for mm -hmm. not performing at a high level so that that creates more self-judgment on a child and then often dogmatic religions heaven and yeah. hell and that's another one so like oh you're not good enough and most people that come from really powerful dogmatic religions have a tough time with worthiness of i'm mm. not enoughness and they feel shame in everything that they do so collectively the unworthy behavior is very much a powerful powerful conditioning and or program within the human mm. within the person yeah mm. it's interesting the word worthiness i just came across a, a study the other day a bunch of my friends had shared it was in an instagram video it was talking about a, a published peer-reviewed um, article. And this study that was done was based on rewarding effort versus performance. And they had all these children go through. And do, yeah. Yes. So it was, man, it was so powerful because the, there the groups of children that performed really well, or so there were two groups of children. One was, was rewarded based on the performance. One was rewarded based on effort. But what happened after that is the performance based started choosing, um, tests or I think the, the obstacles they started choosing were of lower difficulty yeah. and because they just knew that they, if they performed well, they would get X, Y, or Z. Whereas the high effort, uh, encouragement, praise yeah. appraisal, yeah. what they chose the more challenging things to do because they knew that they would be able to challenge themselves and try and give effort. And it's just, you know, this is, it's there are different camps of people that talk about this kind of work. And so we're on more of a spiritual holistic side and this language speaks to a lot of people and it's beautiful, especially when you're at that point in your life yeah. to start discovering that. But even if this kind of language doesn't connect with whoever's listening right now at the time, this isn't, this is proved in science, yeah, you know, yeah. like it can, you can look at it either way. And I think that's where we really like talk about the word epidemic, you know, yeah. we really, 
the shame, shame and unworthiness, in my opinion, is one of the biggest epidemics that sometimes is silent. We don't see that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's wild because it's what, it's what's driving every person to get up, unfortunately, and do something. And it's coming from a place of lack and or fear, which isn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. So everybody thinks, oh, once I get the body, then I'll be enough. Once I get the job, then I'll be enough. Once I get the the girl or the guy, then I'll be enough. Mm. And once I get the new car, or the new house, then I'll be enough. And and the the fascinating part all about this is that it's not true. None of it's true. It's just a program. It's just a conditioning. Right. right. Like the wild thing is that it doesn't actually exist. That yeah. story doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, it's literally made up in the mind. Mm-hmm. And so teaching people that it's just a story is so profound to them. Yeah. Because you can rewrite it or you, you can, can step it. out of it mm-hmm. or you can choose a different timeline yeah. to yeah. step into as far yeah. as what you're placing the bell around, around yourself. I know, um, again, we talked about this earlier, but moving from different careers or moving from bodybuilding, highly competitive sport and also wrestling, like you mentioned, you had a big wrestling career. For me, especially with these injuries where I was ripped out of the story Mm. of if I win, then X, Y, or Z. If I have followers on social media, Mm. then this, if I look a certain way, because what happened for me was my, um, my body changed drastically, my exercise and my nutrition. I had struggled with that. I wasn't getting the same validation from that, that I normally did have from men and women or the fans, whatever. I wasn't winning. I wasn't special. I wasn't on a stage. I wasn't getting my arm raised and have the lights in my face. And I also um, didn't have that feeling of like striving and chasing. And for me, that's what I had put on. It's mm. funny. My therapist, and I, we call it my, uh, my who's number one syndrome because who's number one is one of the shows that it's in the name of the show. And it's so funny because it's like my whole life was if I'm number one, if I'm the the hottest, the funnest, the smartest, the most important mm. person in the room, then I can take a deep breath. Yeah, then I'm enough. Then exactly. Then I can relax. Then the chase is over. The truth is because of the programming, none of it ever made me feel like no. that anyway. Yeah, because the program's still there. Exactly. There's always, The goalpost just moves. moves. Yep. And so for me, I feel so blessed to have been there are more times than just these last couple of years. Of course, there were different nudges along the way, different knocks down. And I'm grateful for that because I could learn in, um, in stages. Mm. It was cyclical, right? It, the lesson yeah. comes around until it is learned. And who knows if that ever ends. So the lesson keeps coming. Yeah. But these last two, two years, I was like profoundly grateful for being allowed the space, even though it was very difficult to develop uh, new stories yeah. for myself, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's powerful, you know? And, how can we help people kind of break free of this program is, is what I really started asking. How can we, how can we like get them to step out of this mind movie that mm-hmm. is running on repeat? It's amazing. Like most people are unconscious of the, the unworthiness that they even carry their unconsciousness. They're unconscious of the anxiety that they carry. Mm-hmm. Most people think that's normal because they've been having that their entire life, this baseline and it's, it's why they go, go, go. It's why they grind. It's, it's, and it's, it's wild. Most people are, are, are just literally going from one thing to the next, whether it's coffee, work, this, 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 and they're keeping themselves busy and overstimulated all day long because anytime that they're still, they feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And when it's so, popularized yeah. as well, yeah, it's, the grind, it's the so rewarded, yeah. the grind life, the hustle yeah. life. I talk a lot about this with my clients because for me as somebody who this is a question I have for you that, that I think you'll have a really great answer for me and for listeners. I'm super curious is I have had my journey with, and to be continued (laughs) with, can you have the stillness? Can you have the presence? And can you do the things that light you up? So I hesitate to use the word success because that's another story. Depending on who you ask, success looks like different things. But the fear for me in stepping back was, can I do it without that? Can I can I, for it just narrowing it into jiu-jitsu, can I be successful? Can I win? Can I perform my best without the grind life, without mm. the hustle life? Is that possible? Mm. You know? So what would you say around the question of how do you step into a more present lifestyle and leave behind some of the anxiety, the shame, the stress, and also feel the level of abundance, whether it's financially or this, you know, success in your field or recognition, respect, like 
what would you, what's your view on that? Well, I think balance is a big part of it. Uh, having balance and the being and the becoming. So beingness is present. So I think having a really good morning routine where you're focused on just the beingness of life and being present with your person and with earth and with your animals and with people and just really being in that space and doing these wonderful practices like breath work and meditation and grounding and sunbathing and cold therapy. And mm -hmm. then you have your, you know, what you um, would like to accomplish in that day, the becomingness so to speak, mm. and um, having a good balance with that and then having some beingness in the evening again. And so I understand balance. Balance is mm. really important. But also, I think a lot of the things, as you mentioned, like what is success? And I think depending on the individual, that story can be really different for many. Um, my, what I realize is that um, I don't really have what I call success. Uh, it's, I like, what we can call is like, like what people call purpose, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I feel like we all have the actual same purpose and purpose is being this. Mm. And I think that's what really we're all striving to. It's like, once we get this, then I can actually be, Yeah. right. right. I can be comfortable in my skin or I can be okay without yeah. money. Once I achieve this goal, then I can finally be. But as you said, like that just keeps getting moved back. So it's about, it's about being present in everything that you're doing and being in that space and being at peace with it, fully trusting and fully allowing. Mm. And that's where I kind of hang out at, you know, life is interesting. Uh, I think we also think it's about attaining happiness. Uh, that's what success is or yeah. this consistent state of bliss. And that is the farthest <laughs> thing from the truth. Yeah. It's about being at peace. Um, because life is going to have its, its ups and downs as it flows, the yin and yang. And that's what it's really about. And, right. and it's not about avoiding the discomfort mm -hmm. or the hard times. It's about being at peace in those times and fully loving those times and opening your heart to those times. Um, and that is the experience. And I feel like that's what it's really about. These, these tests, so to speak, when it is hard, when it is difficult, do we close, do we contract, do we get small, do we run away or do we expand and do mm. we, do we love all the nitty gritty parts of it. And, um, that's what kind of I've leaned into and it kind of removes like this, this grind mentality removes like where I think I'm supposed to be, right. um, status validation. Yeah. It, I, like I don't really deal with any of those things. Mm. Um, all I know is like what I have control over today, which is maybe X, Y, and Z. And outside of that, the only thing I focus on is making sure that my vibration is as high as possible mm. and that's being present. Yeah, 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 bringing it full circle. Mm -hmm. So one question I ask a lot of people that relates to, to what you said so beautifully about what happens when life has those ebbs and flows. Do we tighten? Do we close? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one person I, I don't know if you've read her work, it's Pima Chodron or Chodron. I forget mm -hmm. how you say it. Oh, you would love her. Okay. She's, a, she's a Buddhist. She's a Buddhist monk, but she writes in a way that for me is really potent because it speaks to the real life, the everyday struggle, like the human, the human and the humanness. It speaks to me to the mind mm. instead of only being in the, in the be, yeah. because I think naturally it's, we can move back and forth and shift and things come up in life and I go around and then I try to go back. So yeah. um, anyway, she's, she's beautiful, but she talks about the integration of, you know, many people, I believe when they start getting into this work, include myself included, start to wonder why it's not all rainbows all mm. the time because, but for me, that was a new goalpost. Now, all of a sudden I rewrote the story and now the story is I'm actually supposed to be in nirvana and bliss all the time. If I'm really enlightened, then that's, <laughs> if I'm hashtag enlightened, then that's how I'll feel. Mm. And the integration is now then it's kind of like pendulums, right? You're swinging here yeah. and then you swing there. And actually where I try to exist now is somewhere in between, somewhere in the middle. So the question is, um, I ask people a lot this in, in the lens of their jujitsu career, but your answer I know will be different. Was there a time in your life or more than one, maybe that you look back and was one of those darknesses, one of those, whether it's a dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. ego, death, but even if it's not quite that intense, like something that was very difficult where maybe you did close and then you decided to reopen later. Maybe you were able to stay open through it all and look back and not necessarily the the typical, like, did a bad thing happen and now you're grateful for it? Because sometimes it, that can be a little, a little harsh, especially with really dark, evil mm -hmm. things. But tell us a little bit about a story of one of those times. Well, I would definitely, a good one is just my separation from Steph. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's um, that was incredibly hard and in many ways felt like a death. I would definitely say when you're with someone for eight years and you wake up next to them every morning and you see only a future with them. And then, um, you know, when that does end, when that chapter ends, there is a, a real mourning process mm -hmm. that I had to work through. And that was powerful. You know, it's it's not like you don't have emotions once you become enlightened. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's, it's, that's not <laughs> yeah. the case. What you, what you get really good about doing is processing your emotions once you become enlightened and hold space for those emotions. Mm. And then also then fully accept those emotions and the situation and let go and open your heart to those yeah. uh, situations. So you go through the process just like you normally would. It's just in a healthier, um, more expansive way. Mm. So when I went through that with, with Steph, it first was very, new to me because I, I never had to mourn anything like that before. And I don't think I knew how to mourn. Mm. Um, and so it would come up, like if I heard a song, like something would trigger yeah. through a song or just randomly driving waves. in the car, waves yeah. would come up and it would be intense. And I, I thought like, okay, that's, I'm processing it, you know, because when it would come up, I would fully have yeah. a moment. I would have a beautiful cry, whatever yeah. it was. But there is there's an actual process when you're dealing with bigger things, uh, whether it be a death or a mm -hmm. divorce or, you know, something along those lines. And and so I really took a moment to drop in with myself and hold space for this individual that was losing his partner, that was mm -hmm. going through a community shift, that was leaning into all yeah. this unknown, that was going through a career shift. Yeah. And, and through I, the future as yeah, well, yeah, like you yeah. grieve the timeline yep. you thought you were on. Yep. And so I held space. You know, you can you can operate from these multiple selves. You know, you have the human self that you're in, in experiencing right now. But when you meditate, you obviously slide into a higher version self, you know, the soul self, mm -hmm. the light self, so to speak. And so when you get into these these spaces where your person uh, that I call Justin needs needs um, assistance holding space i can slide it literally into my higher self seat mm. and guide this self uh, to release to let go to mourn to process to to accept yeah. and that's what i did you know i i took three grams of mushrooms and mm. i sat in my living room floor and i it was an out-of-body experience where where i was the soul seat so to speak and i was watching my sentient being go through his morning process and holding space for him in that in that way and he went through all of it he went through the anger he went through the frustration yeah. he cried he sulked he was mad yeah. he asked why and then at the very end of it all uh, as the soul self i was able to ask him like would you change anything mm. and he said no hmm. he said no yeah you're and like would you move back and he's like no mm. and like do you think we made the right choice? I asked him and he's like, yes, wow. but he had to process those emotions. He had to go through all of those things. And once he was granted that space to feel everything, to process everything and to also have dialogue with him mm. uh, for him to answer. And, and it was very clear and that he aligned with the move. Mm. Um, it was gone. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's wonderful to be enlightened um, to remember who you actually are, you know, because you are everything, everyone, all at once, all the time through different right. levels of awareness. So it's, it's not like we're removing ourselves from the human experience when we become enlightened. Yes. Um, it's, yes. it's actually we are, we are fully engaged in it and we stay in love as opposed to mm. leading with fear and ego. Yeah. And so that's what I really uh, focus on. It's, it's never about you know, just be owning the observer. Yeah. Just the witness. I don't want to deny that. I think that's yeah. where for me, I started, I think, especially after it might've been the first time I went to Joe Dispenza a while, yeah. over, maybe over a year ago. And I came back and I was talking to one of my mentors and I was like, I'm having a really hard time <laughs> with like figuring out why I am in this 3d body. Mm. Like, like it was just very, jarring very jarring and i knew that like as a child i had always had a lot of spiritual experiences i was provided with a very loving home where that was safe to do mm -hmm. and um my parents just let me be whatever i was it wasn't like they were sitting in meditation with me making me but it was just i had a lot of experience so i had some peeks into the windows maybe mm -hmm. but that, i had a very hard time when i came back and i told one of my mentors and she just so simply and beautifully snapped things in a way that just like i like you know when people say like your head on a swivel like that i was like whoa here i am she just said kendall you 
you're in this 3D body for a reason though. You don't think that was on accident, do you? Mm-hmm. She's like, there's a lot of work to do here. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, I don't, why am I denying the human experience? Yeah. Like this, if I really want to be in this state of like enlightenment, that doesn't mean being outside. Uh, yeah. This means loving all yeah, of it, aspects. being in love with all of it, accepting, appreciating. And I love the way you put it into some tangible terms of being and then becoming and then being at the end of the day, because the becoming is a very large part of our lives, mm-hmm. you know, and we can't do without it. I think one thing that, um, especially many people in jujitsu, because it is a very like strive grind yeah. environment can get a little, it's a little wonky with like more of the woo stuff is, um, well, what are you going to go do? Move out to the forest and just never see anyone yeah. again. And you're, you know, you're high every day and you just live in the clouds. And that's kind of this judgmental view of things because I always was like, well, I don't think that sounds like the life I want either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would be your advice to someone who's maybe a little bit curious in some of this work, but they're like, I don't, you know, that, that life for me with the van and the stickers and they like, that's the view they have. I think, I think for everyone, it will be different. Um, mm. You know, and I think there's stages to it. I think a big part of of my own personal journey that I can speak on is like there was a time when I started becoming enlightened and I and I became fully enlightened um, as to who and what I am and what this experience is. There was a part of me that was just the observer for a while and it served its purpose and allowed me to, and I believe it really serves a purpose, right? Because this person, this sentient being that we are having this experience with mm-hmm. is deeply programmed and is deeply conditioned mm-hmm. and it carries and identifies with its experiences and holds on to trauma and creates these powerful stories that do not help it. So there mm. is a time and place for this really good work to step reprogram, yeah. step out, recondition, have your, your person, your sentient being, your human become more intelligent, become more enlightened, be, be okay with death, be okay with things ending, be okay with hard times. And that's a really powerful place to, to be. And then once you essentially reprogram the person, you enlighten the person and, and they're aware of what they're a part of, mm. um, then the human experience becomes really great again. Yeah. yeah. Because it's no yeah. longer, it's no longer conditioned or programmed. Right. And I think that's what, I think that's also really important too, is understanding most of us are, are really born into a low vibrational conditioning program. And so, yeah, you can, you can stay in that program and live the life or the human experience, but I don't think that's the one we're supposed to live either. I think we're supposed to be more aware. I think we're supposed to consciously consume Mm -hmm. and and see how we operate and, and, and kind of dive into these, these, these realms to, to actually live a a more um, aligned life. Mm. Um, so I think there is a time and space for it. I, I definitely was the observer for, for quite some time and it was amazing. And then once I taught my person <laughs> loving awareness, once I reprogrammed him, once I conditioned him and trained him through these wonderful practices and had this great dialogue, um, now I'm embodying it again mm. and I'm here more often and I'm, I'm back to being more grounded and experiencing it now with a new upgraded yeah. version yeah yeah like my my dna feels different yes yeah i feel yeah i wake up yeah and my my person doesn't live in the past or the future my person doesn't dwell on things and he can process his emotion he now has the tools yeah um so i think there's just a time and place and even even ram das talks about this Uh, he was having a discussion with alan watts one time which would be amazing to sit and watch those two speak but you know ram das did the same thing like when he went and you know, was a monk for quite some time. That's the, I'm just going to step out of society. Right. And then Alan Watts was a lot of times the opposite. (laughs) He was like, he was drinking, he was doing his thing. And he even tells, tells Ram Dass, he's like, come back down. Yeah. Like come back down and and experience being the human. Cause, and there is no right or wrong path, of course. But, um, I know personally that I, I love being in my human and I love experiencing with him. I, I want to experience a divine union with Mm. my human and make divine children and, hang out with chickens and hang out with these dogs (laughs) and like touch the grass. You know, I'm not trying to hang out there. And the only reason why I did spend time there though, is to become more enlightened to, Mm -hmm. to not even become more enlightened to remember. Remember. Because we're already enlightened. Yeah. Yeah. It's just to remember um, and and remove the the old programs that, that kind of keep us in a shitty space, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know if that's done with purpose. 
I think so. So that's, that's a whole other topic. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have a, have a part two yeah, for yeah, that yeah. and really uncover some yeah. stuff. So. <laughs> so, okay. So last question, the, well, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that and being so just truthful, just telling the truth. I think one of the most moving things in my experience and in my life, which is really the reason I started this podcast is just if, to see if we could tell a little more of the truth sometimes mm. Because, ooh, that, that makes like a, saying that makes a lump in my throat. Because we, I, I just, I use social media to tell the truth. That's really how it started. For, I just started as a journal. Like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to tell my truth. And people were like, cool with hearing that. And, you know, I've battled with different versions of it where sometimes the truth got tweaked. And I realized, wait a second, I'm telling this story in a way because these people are going to hit. So anyway, it's been an interesting journey for me. But the podcast... Um, I just wanted to see if we could tell a little bit more of the truth. And I know that that is what attracts me to the people in my life Mm. is two things. One, they are willing to tell me their truth. And then also they're willing to hear mine and they're willing to hold space for that. Um, And honestly, it's funny because that looks a lot of different ways. I I was just, uh, my boyfriend just left left to Oklahoma. We were talking yesterday and (laughs) I went to the show and I had no sleep. I went to this Taylor Swift concert wearing the shirt. It was awesome, but no sleep. Went to the show and I'm in presentation mode the whole time and I'm on a mic and I've got a smile and all these things, right? And we get in the car to go home and I haven't slept in like over 24 hours. And I was, I just was like trying, trying so hard not to be bitchy and irritated because my physical body was just so, and I just was like, I don't want to go eat. I don't want to. And of course, like not being mean, but just irritated. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, thank you for just like letting me be in my truth. And I don't need to pretend and I can just, and he was like, the reason I say that is he is not in this work. He is not into the whole, like not, not into, it's just not part of his, his journey right now. And he's doing other stuff. And, um, but the essence of, of the truth, it does, you don't have to speak the it's way true. that we are, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. We know, it doesn't have to look just like this no. all the time. Can you tell the truth? So the podcast, thank you for telling your truth because you, people can feel the energy on the yeah. other side and it connects. But is there anything for people who don't live in Austin and can't come see you or maybe they're not doing your online stuff? Obviously, I'll, I want to ask you about mm-hmm. that and people can connect with you. But if they're looking to do something in person in their, in their area, their space, is there anything to look out for as far as warning side like there is some a dark side to some of this work unfortunately yeah, i hate to yeah, say that but, yin and yang to everything, yeah. but just while we do a lot of promotion around it yeah. i love to give you an opportunity is there anything that you've experienced or that you would nudge people in one direction or another yeah i think it's be just be careful of anybody that says they're they can heal you or mm. they're like they're claiming they're guru. they have the answers of the guru complex spiritual ego is very popular it's, it's also a, a normal phase yeah that people yeah. go through so it's normal it's not bad um, but it's just something to keep an eye out. Um, maybe I don't think, be the guinea pig during that time, yeah, during that phase. Yeah, maybe don't exactly. yeah, be, yeah. be wary of, of getting into plant medicine too soon. Mm. And also letting people guide you that maybe just did it their first time, like a week ago. Oof. Um, that's yeah. also very, very common nowadays, you know, and it, it comes from, you know, you know, the unworthiness place as well. A lot of these, yeah. uh, healers, you know, they, finally want to be enough by helping. So mm. it's hard for them to see it, but they're also still operating from that space. So be wary of that. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it is just like, don't jump into plant medicine too soon. Get into breath work, just get into nature. Uh, yeah. it, those are the best ways to kind of start exploring and remembering who you are on a really great level. Uh, getting to the breath, understanding alchemization, stuff like that. Um, you don't need to do all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't need all the yeah. things. Like I really did just start out with breath work. You know, I lead plant medicine uh, ceremonies, but yeah. I always tell people, if you want to do this and you haven't done it, are you even doing breath work yet? Right, right. Yeah, are you breathing? Are you, you know, creating stillness? Are you putting your feet on the grass? Are you doing yeah. the simple things? Are you, are you present with the sun? Are you present with your food? Yeah. Are you present right. with the people? So that's the most important thing is, is, is that type of thing. And then I think also basics. just yeah, the basics, <laughs> yeah. the basics of things. And also just getting people curious about who they are. You know, one of my favorite things and Bob Proctor, who is uh, no longer here, um, he was a gentleman, I think in the seventies and eighties, that was a profound individual. Um, one of the things that he, he did really well was ask people, who are they? 
And that's something that I do in every one of my calls or the consultation calls. Like, who are you? And, and we can go through it real quickly. Most people give their name. And, um, but if you had a different name, you would still be there. Mm. So you're not your name. You're not a bunch of letters. Well, then who are you? And then next people tell me their profession. Well, I'm a doctor or I'm a yeah. police officer. Or I'm a bodybuilder. Yeah. Well, you would still be there if you had a different profession. So you're not your name. You're not your profession. Well, then who are you? The identity. And then, yeah, yeah. And then the next they tell me their life experiences. Mm. Like, oh, I went to school here. I went to prom there. All the well, stories. you would still be there if you went to a different school, if you had different experiences. So you're not your name. You're not your job title. You're not your experience. Well, who are you? And then next people then give me what their body looks like. I'm oh, five foot yeah. ten. I have blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, you know, you were still there at six years old as you are now at 26 years old. Yeah. So you're not your body. You're not your experiences. Uh, you're not your job title or profession. And you're not your name. And when we start exploring this question, um, it becomes quite fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. And you can just keep going and going and going. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. I think this will probably be two words for you because many people, I asked them the same question in the beginning. Mm. What does it mean to have a grip on your life? Mm. And almost everybody's answer changes. Mm. Um, almost every single time after having all these discussions and we talk a lot about, uh, we didn't do as much today. We talk a lot about like darknesses and big victories and the goal of this podcast is to tell the truth and let's like open up the blind but yeah, you do yeah, that yeah. from the beginning so we didn't have to do a whole lot of digging with you um <laughs> so the question is again what does it mean to have a grip on your life you know i guess maybe it can even change a little bit it's still definitely understanding uh, to be at peace mm -hmm. uh, during all moments um good and or bad um but also i think just remembering yeah. Just the consistent remembering. And you can remember while having this human experience. Mm. And and I think that's what I am mostly striving for, I guess. And that gives me a grip on life is the consistent remembering that I am loving awareness, mm. um, that I am consciousness, uh, yeah. having this beautiful experience. And, and if I can keep my heart open during all moments, during the good, during the bad, I think that's really what I'm here for. And, uh, and I'm not religious in any way, but that's, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I always thought Jesus was so gangster, <laughs> you know, like, like he, he was always about staying in love, staying mm -hmm. in pure loving awareness. You know, um, he was able to still love his friend who betrayed him. He was still able to love and forgive people who were unconscious and he didn't right. take it personally. So like his story, when you really break it down, it's like he was always to, able to keep his heart open. He was always able to stay in love. And mm. as you go through life, you're going to always have these opportunities to either contract or to open. And whether that be through someone giving you the finger while driving by, <laughs> yeah. cutting you off, a relationship ending, yeah. you know, a death, you know, something where people do you wrong, uh, you can either take that personally, you can make it a thing and you can contract and you can judge and you can close yeah. or you can have empathy and you can have compassion and acceptance and forgiveness and you can stay open. And so that's how I kind of go through life is having the opportunity to contract or stay open. And you asked that question, like, you know, what gave me the ability to stay open, mm -hmm. you know, during hard moments and it's hard, it's difficult. And, but I noticed that every time I get the opportunity to, I'm able to, I'm able mm -hmm. to stay open. And when that happens, it's not comfortable. It's yeah. incredibly painful. It's actually a burning sensation yeah. um, into my heart. And But every time I choose love, every time I open my heart after it wants to close because it was just hurt by something or it didn't get right. what it wants, and I fully open again, I expand in such ways, um, it's it's indescribable. And, and because I've been able to do that consistently through my life's challenges is stay mm. open, um, I feel things on a really powerful level. I'm very yeah. sensitive in a beautiful way. I feel the sun differently. I feel mm -hmm. like love with people differently, uh, with my plants, with my food. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I feel everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh. and, the, and that's the sweet spot. Cause if you close on the hardships, you also close yourself off on feeling things profoundly. Right. And that's, that's something I learned a while ago. And so I really look forward to the moments where I, I often still get <laughs> triggered, so to speak, yeah. or contract. What's cool about that is that um, for a while we contract and we might stay contracted for a few weeks mm -hmm. and then we kind of reopen after the dust settles. But what's beautiful as you do this work, you, you end up really contracting and opening within a millisecond within yeah. things. 
And then before you know it, you almost never contract anymore mm -hmm. because that becomes the new autopilot. Because and to wrap this up real quick is like the brain is built on reward-based learning. Yeah. So it also works in your favor with love. Um, you know, it always picks the bigger, better behavior and there's no bigger, 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 better behavior than love. Right. And right. that's really awesome. You know, at first, is, yeah. at first it wants the quick fix, but once you introduce the, the, the profound gift of love, yeah. um, your brain will definitely make that the new autopilot. So it works with it. It's a retraining. Yeah. yeah it's just a retraining. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it's really cool stuff. Yeah. The, the theme that I hear and well, there's two quotes. One is, um, my capacity, someone else wrote this, but it says something along the lines of my capacity. I learned that the greater my capacity for pain and discomfort grew, that correlated with my capacity for love and yes, joy. Right? It's the yeah. same. It's like two sides mm -hmm. of the equation. And then the other thing that I heard you say a lot right now was um, that I love is not just the word remembering, but also habitually. I try to view whether you want to call it consciousness or enlightenment or just peace presence, view it as can I get my gaps of forgetting shorter? And can I get yes. my gaps of remembering longer? And then ideally I can chain those remembering gaps to be closer together over and over. And so I like, can I, how long of a streak can I run without an interruption? And then how short can I make the interruption so that I can come back to remembering Correct. again? Yeah, yeah. Come back to love. Yeah. That's all it is, is come back to love. And, and that's, what's beautiful about this work. You know, since everything is energy, everything is vibration. Um, through presence and through loving modalities um that that is what you can train your your beautiful sentient to mm. remember that it is yeah um it's only been trained in the other aspect but it doesn't make it true yeah yeah it's just yeah. we you know it's unfortunate we are um you know born into a lot of unsafe environments and uh and from that we really do contract at a very young age and we're, we're afraid to feel we've been told we've been too much but again these are just stories and so having that awareness can be really powerful. Awesome. So now, oh, hello, dogs. We've got dogs in here. If you guys are not watching the YouTube, then <laughs> we have some dogs happening. It's very nice. <laughs> um, so also, if you're watching the YouTube, how old is this dog again? He is seven months. Seven months, and he's huge. Yeah. So, so after, first of all, again, thank you so much, Justin, for sharing so much with us. Um, where can people find you as far as how they can work with you, what they can see from you, how can they hear more if they're interested in this work? I think Instagram is always a really great place to find me. Justin D. Lovato is my handle. And uh, also um, my website, mm -hmm. Nirvana Mind and Body, uh, or nirvanamindbody.com. And uh, yeah, just, just finding me on that website and social media is the best way to get a hold of me. And yeah, if you're interested in learning how to meditate mm -hmm. and getting into breath work, if you are looking to maybe look into the stuff that we've just talked about, remembering who you truly are, uh, if you're looking to be supported by a strong, loving community as well, that's something that I've definitely created with Nirvana Nation. And that's a whole other thing that people can come check out for sure. But yeah, if you want to get into breath work and, you know, there, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of cool ways to get into this work. It just doesn't have to be about breath work and meditation. Right. It really can be about presence in any activity that you're doing. It's, it's yeah. just mostly about presence and whatever it is that you're doing. So one thing that I, I realize is that we can, we can really um, shift consciousness in people, even through things like movement. Right. Um, that's why a lot of people love running. Uh, that's why a lot of people love jujitsu Jiu yeah, yeah. and training and stuff like that, because it's connecting us with the level of presence, which opens that portal. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so, um, you know, whatever that is for you, just tap into presence yeah. and that's the best way to do it. So, um, and I have a few different modalities that I use to teach that, but, uh, for me, breath work it, it seems to be the, the holy grail. So yeah, I think outside of, outside of nature, I would say, mm -hmm. like if you can get out in nature for consecutive days, because nature is presence yeah. and it stares at you. Right, right. That's why they, Eckhart Tolle talks about that. He, he says, basically, it's, it's wild. Like more people would feel comfortable on a park bench in the middle of New York City. But if you were to take them and put them in the middle of a forest mm. with nothing, they start feeling really anxious really fast. And yeah. it's because presence is staring right at them, requiring mm. them to be present with it. Yeah. And so that's why in nature, it's such teachable moments. Nature is one of the most powerful tools. So that is also something mm. that is something I really can't wait to get into myself, actually. Wow. So, okay. So you've got your online community that's very highly accessible and you've got your mentorship that you do from distance learning. Obviously, if you guys are in Austin, Texas mm -hmm. as well, you do in-person stuff. Yeah, the in-person, yeah. the, the, the online programs as well, the yeah. virtual programs, virtual breath work as well. We have those every month. 
I do the um, the big events as well, the in-person events wow. uh, each and every month as well. So there's a lot of cool ways to so cool. come see me, come check Great. it out. We also, if you're in Austin, we do the Zilker meetup every Wednesday at 630. Oh, cool. Yeah, just community-based and getting together. So yeah, there's a, a lot of awesome. cool ways to come find me. Cool. Well, I'll link it all in the in the notes so you guys know where to find that stuff. But Justin, thank you so much for like, I want to circle back to the concept of truth, just yeah. telling your truth. And I, I always try to stay away from like, this is the truth. Mm. This is how it is. This is like, yeah. you need to abide by it because no that goes absolutes. back into, yeah. And it no goes back absolutes. into storytelling, right? But thank you for telling your truth thank and you. for hearing mine. And thank you guys so much for listening. As always, if there was uh, one thing that I like to say on the show is that we don't have ads. There is no entry fee other than if you got something out of this episode or if there's someone you think that would benefit from it or that would help, if you guys can copy and paste the link and share it to them or share it in your story or just somehow throw it out there, get it out to more people, I would greatly appreciate it. And I would love to share Justin's um, wisdom and just experience with as many people as possible. Thank so you, thank, you. thank you guys so much for being here and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.